Let us all take a moment then to bring our palms in veneration of the supremely enlightened one, the perfect one, the unparalleled one, unequaled in virtue, in compassion, in concentration and in wisdom, unique in every single way, peerless and fearless. Let us take a moment to pay veneration to his holy name as we remind ourselves how privileged, honored we are to be his students, to become his disciples, to follow in his path, to fulfill the journey that he painstakingly laid down for us and to achieve the ultimate bliss that he has promised lay at the end of this journey, the ultimate destination. Let's take a moment now to pay homage to the Lord Buddha. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa It's very important that you have grasped the teaching of the Buddha well enough that you are capable of continuing your practice even in the absence of your teachers. This particular audience is very fortunate because you constantly have association with your teachers. You are here most days of the week. You have an individual teacher assigned to you who discusses your understanding, checks your understanding, asks you questions, sometimes throws curveballs at you to see whether you really got it or whether you think you know it. Sometimes they try and convince you that the, that the Dhamma is false and then allow you to convince them that no, it is, it is true. So you are very fortunate in that way. But you need to understand, I think you do, that what your teachers want is for you to be independent in your practice as soon as possible. Not right at the start. As you begin, you take little steps, baby steps. But as you keep going forward, as you progress, you need to become independent so that you can then relieve your teacher to go and pick up another student. And once you become independent, now you can become an instructor. You can become a teacher to someone else. That is the way the noble lineage works. Although the Buddha is not with us today, he is in another way. 
That is because there are those who carry his teaching to this day. When you are no longer, Venerable Sir, who should we consider our teacher? He said, my teaching should be your teacher. But then how does his teaching convey? How does his teaching carry on from one generation to another? This is the noble lineage. So from mouth to mouth, mind to mind, the noble teaching carries on. As soon as possible, you need to become independent. But don't be at a rush to do that, because sometimes if you are too hasty, you can be fooled to think that, yep, I got it, and then you can try practicing on your own, and then you, know, you crash into something, and then it's too late. But with proper guidance, it's important that you become independent. So whatever you're doing right now, while you're at home, when you're not here, when you're not in the presence of your teachers, this is the best place to check whether you're capable of practicing the Dhamma without their presence. Because when you're here, of course you have the environment around you which prompts you to be mindful. This Yoniso Manasikara, the environment also prompts you to do that. You know, when you see monks around you, when you see other Anagarikas and Anagarikas and Sravakas and Sravikas and Uvasis and so on, other devotees, and you know that you're at a monastery, you see the shrine room, you see the Buddha statue, you know, these, there are lots of things around you that prompt you to keep you on track. But what about when you're out on the street? What about when you're at the shops? What about when you're at the office? Some of you are still in work. So what about then? And what about when you're at home, but you're the only one who's actually keen on practicing? This is the natural environment. In fact, some of you, this is an artificial environment, isn't it? When you come here, bring yourselves here on a Saturday, is an artificial environment. But your natural environment is outside, outside those two gates. So when you're there, it's important whether you know how to practice. Because otherwise what can happen is you come in every Saturday and you pretend that Nothing happened, you're fine. But over the course of the previous week, you've been wounded and there are cuts and bruises all over. But you cover yourselves up with this Uttar Salua. And you come in and you pretend that everything's fine. Nothing's happened, unscathed. But not so. If only we took the Uttar Salua off, we'd see all the bruises and the cuts and the everything, the fractures, one arm missing, all sorts. But of course, when you come and meet your teacher, don't hide any of your cuts and bruises. That is where you have to display them. It's like when you go to the doctor. 
Don't hide anything. Show them everything. So how do you keep your manasikara, this mindful awareness, yonisa manasikara? How do you keep your mindful awareness in day-to-day situations in life? There is no magic bullet to this. There's no magic recipe. There's no special instruction I can give you. But what I can prompt you is to practice that. I can, I can give you some guidance, I can give you some hints, I can give you some tips, but nothing beats practice. Nothing. So it's crucial then that when you're not here, you actually engage in this practice. Let's take a few examples today and see if we can try and make sense. In fact, if you can do that, then that in itself is your meditation. Bhavita Bahulikata is the Buddha's instruction on practicing the Dhamma. To use it and to use it well, to use it repetitively, to use it until. So it's important that you do that. Let's take one or two examples. And as, I, as we discuss these examples, others will come into your mind as well. And see then how you might be able to reflect on, on them. Now we have, if all goes to plan, as we do every New Year's Eve, we have a Karmasthana program at the monastery where we all get together and we reflect on the karmasthana. Karmasthana is basically a teaching of the Buddha that you reflect on. But it's not just the teaching that you reflect on, it is the application. That is what you do with you when you do a karmasthana. There is little point in just repeating the words over and over again. What's important is as you repeat or as you reflect on, as you say those words, whether you say it or not, that is really not that great a deal, whether you say it or not, whether you say it out out loud or not, is is not really of that significant, not of much significance. But what's important is you reflect and you apply that to the situations, the problems, circumstances in life. Etang santang etang panita. So you reflect on what Nibbana is. What is Yadidan Sabba Sankara Samatha? How can you do that? How do you do that at home? Or is it just something you do on 31st night? Is it something that you can only do at the monastery? Sabba Sankara Samatha? It sounds very it sounds very profound, Sabba Sankara Samatha. It sounds quite deep, and it seems like there's no relevance to everyday problems. Or is there? Or isn't there? So this question, if it comes up in your mind, then what you need to do is to try and see the connection between Sabha Sankara Samatha and your practice. Sabhupati Patinissag, Tanhaka, Viraga, 
nirodh nibbana each of these words have great significance each of these words mean nibbana each and every one of them they mean nibbana they're just numerous definitions of the same thing that's it so how do you do take any one of these and how do you apply them to your day-to-day -day life problems so let's take one or two and see whether you can think of your own as well let's take a typical home are there such things called typical homes okay at home parents children well, this is ideal ground for conflict isn't it is it tutha yes he also agrees no so the parents want the children to do something as all parents do they want their children to do things and the children are not interested in doing it if take an example say you want your child to eat all his broccoli eat all his greens let's say they don't have a lot of broccoli here do they culturally not <laughs> not appropriate okay so you want your child to eat their greens and the child is not interested he doesn't like it so he's protesting no i want to have it i don't want it now you try and convince them that they've got to you you try and tell them uh, this is good for you this is healthy if you eat it then you will become handsome you will become beautiful when you grow up you will have you know then you start making up all sorts of lies don't you to get them to eat this like you'll have wings you can fly right depends on how young they are and how gullible they are you'll come up with all sorts of reasons as to why they must eat it you'll become you'll come first in class if you eat your greens so then you then the child asks so how come the kira mahatya who sells this he is still selling kira <laughs> he is not first in class so yeah it, as i said it just depends on how naive your children are unfortunately you educate them so they soon enough they they're not naive anymore and then they begin to question everything you say and then these lies white lies nonetheless these white lies they just start falling on deaf ears and it, it, they don't work out so then you're going to have to now find a way to keep yourself calm and cool when your children don't listen to what you say so take that example now we have that at noble hearts i'm sure our swami nan says and our anagarika mahatmyas and sridhar radhika mahatmyas when they when they're over there try to get our children to eat their greens i don't know whether you've seen when you come to the monastery and you offer arms every day after they had their meal they have to show their arms bowl to the swami nan say who's in charge of their diet so they when they leave the dana hall they have to show their empty arms bowl and usually if there are any nutritious 
items of food that is left behind, like the greens, then even as they leave, there will be another monk to collect them from the other side. And they will take them, escort them to where, to where the wash basin is. But before they get to throw it all away, they have to sit down and finish that. It's, I mean, the parents would do this at home, so I think I'm sure parents would expect us to do the same. You know, while you're young, you don't know what's good or wrong, bad for you, do you? So you, that is why you need parents. That's why you need adults who can tell you right from wrong. So that's what we do. But then, how do we ensure that we don't, we don't get into a state of conflict with that? How does Sabha Sankara Samatha happen there? Because if you can't contemplate on Sabha Sankara Samatha there, then Sabha Sankara Samatha just becomes a, a chant. It's just a chant. And Buddhist philosophy is not for chanting, like the Pirit. Although people believe that today is just something that you... Be, that we chant and then ultimately you get a period thread, you tie around your wrist and that is what it is for. I mean, that is, the, that is in fact the last thing it is for. I'm not going to say that it is not for that, but it is the last thing it is for. But period is really teachings of the Buddha. You just recite them in a... in melody. Other than that, it's just the teaching of the Buddha. I doubt the Buddha actually, actually I don't doubt, I'm certain that that is not how the Buddha proclaimed the teaching. So Dhamma Chakrapautana Sutta, although when we chant Pirit, we chant it in a certain manner, that is not how the Buddha would have taught it. Dweme bhikkave anta, pabba jitena nasevi That's how the Buddha would have said it. But of course when we chant Pirit, we do it in a bit of a melody, because it, it's more appealing to an audience and you have to do it overnight and so, you know, something that people find interesting. So that's that. So Sabha Sankara Samatha, how do we apply that in that situation? Now, before I give you the answer, how about you have a think about it? What is Sabha Sankara Samatha? And how do you apply that to a situation such as your children are not doing what you want them to do and now you feel a bit annoyed. Most of you are parents and if you are not parents then think of switch seats. When you want your parents to do something for you but they're not willing to play ball. Say you want, you want, you want your parents to buy something for you hmm? and they're not willing to do that. So then you get annoyed. So how do you do Sabha Sankara Samatha? How, how, do, how do you use that as a karmasthana? What is a karmasthana after all? A karmasthana is a teaching, a short snippet of teaching of the Buddha that helps you now listen attentively that helps you not to engage in a karma in that moment. That is what a karmasthana is. In fact, if you are truly applying the karmasthana in that moment, in that chitta, a karma doesn't occur. 
That is why it's called a karmasthan. I'll say that again. In a moment, if, if, the, if the chitta is truly applying the karmasthan, not just chanting the karmasthan, not just chanting the karmasthan, if you are truly applying the karmasthan, in that chitta a karma doesn't occur. That's why it's called the karma asthana. It displaces the karma. So whereas a karma would normally have occurred because of ignorance and attachment, in that chitta, we are talking about individual chittas, so each chitta that carries the karma asthana, this would be true. Yeah, so basically, if I were to just illustrate it up on the board, So this is your stream of chittas. Say here at this point, right, these are individual chittas. Say at this point you are thinking about something, something worldly. Okay? So you are thinking about something. Just anything. Just about anything. Where, so therefore ignorance and attachment prevail and karma is, is going on. If I say, so what happens when karma happens? Jati happens, right? So you have jati. So in this jitta, you've got jati going on. And then all of a sudden, you hear sabba sankara samatha. This is a short snippet of the Buddha's teaching. Sabba sankara samatha. So, when the Buddha explains what Viraga Sanya is, this is one of the places where he talks about this. Kadamachananda Viraga Sanya. Etan Santang Etan Panitan Yadidang Sabba Sankara Samatha. So, you don't need the whole thing. I'm just talking about one specific, very small part, one snippet of it. Sabba Sankara Samatha. So, let's say, let's say we are, this is the 31st today, and we are, we are now chanting this. So now here you started chanting, you just started chanting Sabha Sankara Samatha. Okay? Just chanting. So what happens now then? What happens to karma? It stops, right? Yes? You just started chanting. You just started chanting. You don't know what the heck it means. You just started chanting it. I mean, you could be chanting Greek, so karma stops, <laughs> does it? No, it's not a spell. <laughs> it's still happening, because chanting does nothing to help you attain Nibbana. If you have no understanding of what it is, it does nothing for you. Because it is through wisdom one attains Nibbana, not others, even a parrot can attain it, but otherwise, right? You just have to repeat it. That is not, that is not how one realizes the, the truth. You have to reflect upon it. To reflect upon it, you've got to understand it. To understand it, you have to break it down, analyze it, take instruction, and try and make sense of it. Right, so you keep on chanting. Still the jati is going on, right? At this point, 
you start to reflect on its meaning. Sabba Sankara Samatha. What does that actually mean? Which we'll I'll get into in a moment. So at that moment, you're now applying the teaching that is contained within this snippet of Dhamma, Sabha Sankara Samatha. Now at that moment, you no longer, well, let's just say, I can't say this is zero jati, because then you're an arahant at that moment, but let's just say it is suppressed. Okay, so because you have, we can have that kind of state where the process of jati can either be prominent or it can be subdued. Okay, so therefore, to represent that, I'm not going to draw the red, draw it with the with the red line. So now you have just the chitta rising and passing. Let's say again at this moment you stop the reflection and you just go back to chanting. Once again, you're back at jati. So just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that in this moment there is no jati. Because if there's a single chitta that has no jati, then you have become an arahant at that point. And this, is a, this is an area that we are still exploring, what happens in the moment, where it, what happens when the, the mind is actually contemplating on the Dhamma. And for the time being, let's just take it that the jati process is suppressed, right? and uh, potentially the 11 great fires are not, are not prominent at that point. Right? So it, it runs in sort of a dormant state, but not completely eradicated because ignorance still, still prevails. But it's not, it's not prominent enough to actually manifest the 11 great fires. Okay? So basically, the, the idea I want to get across to you is, here's the, the winning chitta. Here's the winning chitta because in this moment you have begun to contemplate on this snippet of the Dhamma, that is Sabha Sankara Samatha. So then what is Sabha Sankara Samatha? This is Nibbana. That's why towards the end it says Nibbānanti. Etan Santang etan Panita. Yadidan Sabha Sankara Samatha. This is wonderful. This is, this is beautiful. And this is Nibbana. So how do you then, going back to the example I gave you earlier, when you're feeling annoyed with someone about something, how do you then apply Sabha Sankara Samatha? So what is Sabha Sankara then? See, there are three words here. Sabha, Sankara and Samatha. I think most of you know what Sankara is. Sabha can be considered all. All is also Sabha. There is another meaning to it. That is the Sankara which is inclined towards or focused towards the production of Jati. Towards the, towards the origination of jati, basically the Paticca Samuppada process. 
the sankhara that is driven or that is headed towards the production of jati. In other words, suffering. This is sabh. It has this meaning because when you have just sankhara, an arahant's mind also has sankhara. Because there are three types of sankhara that you will know. I mean, sankhara has various categories, but I'm talking about in one particular categorization, you have vachi sankhara. These are the words that are created in your mind before you actually speak them out. Right? When you think in words, this is vachi sankhara. So these are not the words that you hear me say right now. It's the words that are produced in the mind before before they are spoken. Then there is Kaya Sankara. Kaya Sankara are all the physical actions that you do. But Kaya Sankara can be distilled down to two simple actions. These are expansions and contractions. That's how all physical activity takes place in your bodies. Expansions and contractions. That's a discussion we can have another, on another day, the, the detail of how that is so. And then you have Chitta Sankar. These are the Chittas, the production of the Chittas. So these three are the three processes that are going on inside each and every one of you right now. There are the Chitta Sankaras, sometimes referred to as Mano Sankara, but the technically appropriate term is Chitta Sankara. Then you have the Vachi Sankara, and then you have the Mano Sankara. So these three Sankara, or these three types of Sankara, or formations, are going on every moment, and even in the mind of an Arahant. So these, all three of these are mental. They actually have nothing to do with the physical body. All of these three are, because it's the mind that we are trying to free, isn't it? Your, your kaya sankara cannot be the raising or the lowering of your arm, for instance. Because what is there to, 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 to say, uh, cleanse or you know, to, to purify about that? But the intention that you have when you raise your arm, the intention with which you lower your arm, now that can be cleansed because that could be defiled, the intention. If you're raising your arm to hit someone versus you're raising your arm to help someone, right? these are two different intentions. And so therefore your intentions can be purified. Your intentions can be cleansed. So now you have the three sankhar. Right? I'm, I'm going to link it back to the example, which is you're angry with, you're annoyed with someone. How do you do sabha sankhara samatha and contemplate on that? to help you to free yourself from suffering in that moment. But first of all, we need to understand... <coughs> Excuse me. First of all, you need to understand what Sabha Sankara Samatha is. Any of these karmasthanas are the same, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't understand the karmasthana itself, then you can't apply it. But you don't need to understand it word for word. You just need to understand the meaning behind it. So, 
even if you didn't know the Pali, but you were able to grasp the meaning behind it, you can still apply it. Nibbana in other languages might be a different word. Right? So it's like love. Like love is a different word in, a diff in different languages. But the feeling of love is universal, isn't it? A mother's love for a child is universal. Every mother feels the same love towards their child. Every mother. But the words that are used will change from language to language. The way they express it physically might change, but the emotion of love is universal. In the same way, the emotion behind Nibbana, if it's the, if it's, if it's the same emotion with which the Buddha proclaimed it, then we are all on the right path. So Sabha Sankara Samatha, coming back to that, three Sankaras you talked about, Chitta Sankara, Vachi Sankara, and Kaya Sankara. So those are the Sankara, then we have the Sabha, Sankara, and Samatha. So it's not the Sankara that we need to Samatha. Samatha is like a settlement. That is what Samatha is, to, to settle, to tranquil, to pacify, if you like, to I think settle is probably the best word, to settle. Because it is what is disturbed that needs to be settled, isn't it? To be made placid. So if something's disturbed, if something's perturbed, then that needs to be settled. So it's not the sankhara that is disturbed. But when sankhara is done for the purpose of sabba, now it is no longer settled. Now it's disturbed. So sabba sankhara is the problem. Sabha Sankara Samatha is the solution. So now let's connect that to the example that we took. Sankara is not the problem. Sabha Sankara is the problem because Sabha is once again Sankara done towards or for the intention or for the purpose of separation. Yeah, for the purpose of separation separation and then ultimately that leads on to jati and then the eleven great fires and all the rest of that. So the mind once understand once the mind understands that this sabha sankara the sabha aspect of sankara is where the problem is, now the mind realizes that that is the bit that has to be settled. So then the mind has at that point recognized what nibbana is, because that is nibbana. Now, when I ask you what is Nibbana, you, you think about how you might answer it. Those days when you used to talk about vexation and, re and relief from vexation and pleasure, like some months ago, years ago maybe, I mean, we still talk about that from time to time. When, I asked, when we were to ask you, what do you mean by Nibbana, you used to give the answer, it is where the mind does not sense vexation. Right? So where there is no vexation, then there is no need for relief from vexation, and where there's no need for release from vexation, then there is no pleasure. This is what, how we used to define Nibbana. Today, now you understand Jati, yeah? and then uh, we ask you the question, so what is, what, is jati, what is Nibbana? Today your answer will be, it is the eradication of Jati. 
It is the eradication of a sense of self. Ultimately, all of these mean the, are the same thing. You're just talking about the same thing in different words. It's not different. Just different words talking about the same thing. So, you can also describe Nibbana as Sabha Sankara Samatha. Now, we've got 31st coming up. So, when these karmasthana are being chanted, you need to know what you've got to be thinking at that time, because otherwise you're just going to be doing one of these things. You'll just be chanting. And for, say, 12 long hours, you'll keep on chanting, only interrupted by tea and cakes. And then, if you have one of these, then that is all that would have been beneficial. Others would be meritorious. Yes, it'll acquire merit for you, because you're doing something good, you're doing something uh, meritorious, but in terms of kusal, this is the only one that would, that would help you. So for that, you need to understand what is meant by Sabha Sankara Samadha, and then apply that. So, before I relate that back to the example, Sabha, Sabha Sankara Samatha. Okay? So we discussed what Sankara was. Sabha is the process of formations and the, in, the intention of doing those, um, having those formations towards jati, separation. Okay? And Samatha is the settling of that. So, when you think of these three together, now you understand that has to be Nibbana, mustn't it? Because if you can somehow settle the Sabha part and just leave it at pure Sankara, then that is the nature of an Arahant. As of course you can see, an Arahant walks, he talks, he thinks, right? So if he couldn't have Sankara, then none of those things would be possible. So those things happen in, in an Anahant, but what doesn't happen is, in an Arahant's mind, you don't have Sankara that happens towards this Sabha aspect. Sabha is, once again, the production of suffering, the production of Jati. Okay, the etymology of that word is Sva and Abba, which means Sva is, of course, the self. And Abba is, uh, you could say, I suppose, uh, geared towards, aimed towards, or um, I think you get the idea. I, I don't need to try and explain it anymore. <laughs> right? Where so is the self, and inclined towards. Take it that way. Okay. So inclined towards. The self, that is what Sabha is. Right. So now, how do we relate this back to our problem, which was when we are back at home, we have no teacher present to keep us on the straight and narrow, but we are now in the middle of a problem. You've asked your children to do something for you, and they're not willing to cooperate.
So now you're annoyed. So how do you do Sabha Sankara Samatha? There are always two ways in which you can approach this. Whichever way you approach it, the other will also be fulfilled, but it just depends on which, which side you look at first. Because in any conflict, there are at least how many sides? There are at least two sides. So there's, of course, your side, or there's the other side. Right? You can start this from whichever side seems more palatable to you. It's fine. You can start this by looking at your child. Now your child is not doing what you want them to do. You're now observing your child. Your child is sat there in front of you. Right? Maybe, maybe they're, they're crying. Maybe they're really you know, throwing up a, a tantrum. And you're now with the plate and the greens on it. And you tried feeding them as well. And it's not working either. And it's just a messy situation. And now you're reminded, I have to be on my, on good, in good conduct because my boy is going to come with me to, uh, to the monastery on Saturday. And then when Swami Nasir asks, have you been good? If my boy sat next to me, then I can't answer that question because I'm going to go yes and then he's going to look at me. <laughs> That's why I always encourage parents to bring their children. So then I can get some honest answers from the audience. At least don't sit in the same row. Then that, that's also a good strategy. So then you can answer independently and not be, not be uh, criticized or by your children or the other way around. So, so you have the situation now, there's a child there. So let's take it from the child's perspe perspective first and then, or it's rather your perspective on, on the child and then we'll see how we can take it the other way around. Now you see the child, and in your mind, you need to try and come to your senses. Right now, if you're annoyed, being annoyed is one of the best pieces of evidence that you can give yourself to the fact that you are in Ionisa Manasikara. If you are ever annoyed, don't be in any doubt whether you are doing Yonisa Manasikara or not. You are not. Yeah? So, never be in any doubt about that. Because sometimes you might, you might feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good practitioner, I've been practicing the Dhamma for so long, I'm very good at this, just get a little bit annoyed from time to time, but even when I'm annoyed, I'm in Yonisa Manasikara. No. When you're annoyed, you're not in Yonisa Manasikara. How can that be? Because to be annoyed, you can only be annoyed when you have two things in conflict. Right? Annoyance cannot happen if two things don't, don't conflict or don't collide. So there has to be something that you have in your mind, an expectation you have in your mind, and then there's something outside that's taking place, and these two things they don't, they don't converge. That is when you get annoyed. So now you have your child who you want to eat their greens, and there's so the you who want you want and you want the child to eat their greens, but there's the child who's not having it. 
So that's where the conflict is. Now as you look at the child, you think to yourself that this is a child. This is my child. Yeah? This is my child and they're not having their greens. So when you see your child there, there are lots of expectations that you have set on your child. You fail to see your child right now as an aggregate of vipaka. You fail to see your child as just a fleeting instance of vipaka. You're actually seeing an actual child there. So instead of seeing the rupa, the vedana, the sanya, the sankara and the vijnana, which is what we've been trying to practice you to do at the monastery, you're in that moment, all of that goes out the window and now you're seeing a child, a fully formed child, who you want to have the greens. That's what you want them to do now. So you have a child, There's, it's, it's an entity. Your child, you want the child to have, your, have the greens. But that's not what the child wants to do. So as you project this entity of a child onto the five aggregates that are actually in front of you, what's in front of you are, are merely a collection of vipaka. This is just a collection of aggregates. See, on these aggregates you can't set expectations. But as you create a child in front of you, now a child comes with expectations. What expectations do you have of Rupa, for instance? Rupa, what expectations do you have? There's one expectation you can have of Rupa. Rupa titiko tasma rupanti vuchati. That expectation is fair enough, because that is what Rupa does. It forms. What does, what does Rupa do? It forms. That is why it's called Rupa, or rather, form. And forms form. <laughs> what else do they do? That expectation you can have on Rupa, but that is all the only expectation you can have on Rupa. Take Vedana then. Vedaitiko bhikkavetasma Vedanati vuchati. So the Buddha says, Vedana, the purpose of Vedana is simply to inform. It's to inform. Like if you take the Rupa, Vedana and so on, we have receiving and then registering. Okay, So it registers or rather it informs that something's happened. That's why the analogy of a drop of water is, is, is a perfect one. Because what happens when, you, when a drop of water or when something drops into the water, it creates, it forms a bubble, doesn't it? A water bubble. That water bubble simply indicates that something has happened. That is all the water bubble does. It indicates that something's happened. It doesn't tell you actually exactly what has happened. It, is, it tells you something has happened. That's why when it's raining, one of the best ways you can check whether it's raining is you don't have to look up at the sky. Look, look at the ground. One of the best ways to check whether it's raining. Because what, how so? Because when you look outside, if there's a puddle of water, right, you'll see... You'll see what? You'll see drops. You know, you'll see... What do you say? Uh, 
you'll see the water falling onto the, onto the ground and, and, and producing these water bubbles. And, and, and that, that is an indicator to you that it's raining. So, in the same manner, Vedana does just that. It indicates to you that something's going on. So, that is the only thing you can expect of Vedana. You can't expect anything more of Vedana. Sanya, again, is an identification. It's a recognition. That is all you can expect of Sanya. You can't expect anything more from Sanya. If you want to set an expectation on Sanya, that is all you can expect, nothing more. Sanya is a recognition. Sankara we just talked about. Chitta Sankara, Vachi Sankara, Kaya Sankara. And Vijnana, ultimately, just perceptions. If you want to expect anything of Vijnana, just simply expect it to perceive and nothing more. So, what is in front of you right now then? A child? No. All there is is Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana and a particular configuration of that. That's it. But in your mind, you'd see something more than that. You see a child. And when you have a child in your mind, now you have a series of expectations that you want a child to fulfill. But there is no child in front of you. But you keep on expecting. But there is no one there to fulfill those expectations. See, so you keep on spurring these expectations and you just keep on pumping those expectations on this bundle of this, this collection of skandhas, these five aggregates, right? and constantly keep expecting them, but there is not a snowball's chance in hell that these five aggregates can actually fulfill those expectations because it's not a child to fulfill those expectations. It's just Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. That's it. So you keep on throwing these expectations at them. It's like you know, trying to play ball with someone who doesn't have arms. How do you play? If I ask you to put your arms behind your back and, and then don't let go, and I say, right, I'm going to throw this to you, catch it, but you can't let go. How can I play ball with you? But that's what we do when we set expectations on the five aggregates, because the five aggregates are not meant to fulfill our expectations. It's just there to do what Rupa does, what Vedana does, what Sankara does, Sanyara does, and Vijnana does. That's it. Now let's take the Sabha Sankara Samatha. Just take the Sankara part. Sankara again threefold. Chitta Sankara, Vachi Sankara, and Kaya Sankara. In front of you, you think he's a child, but actually what there is is the three Sankara. Chitta Sankara, Vachi Sankara, and Kaya Sankara. You're now expecting, you're setting an expectation for this Sankara to fulfill your objective. That objective is a fixed objective. That objective, it's, it's, it's a narrative that is based in your expectation. It's a narrative that is based on your objective. You're the one who's created this story. You've created this agenda. 
This sabba is a creation of your own mind. This is a separation that you've created. So it's not okay for you that the child doesn't eat. You're not okay. You're not okay with that. You're not happy to accept that. Because of course you have separated now. Because you know when, when, it, when we take greens, eating greens, there are two outcomes, isn't there? Aren't there? You can either eat it or you cannot eat it. You're not able to see the two of them as equally. One is better than the other. Why is one better than the other? Because you have separated the two, right? And now one is more preferable to you, one is more pleasant to you, the other is unpleasant, the other is unpreferable. So whichever one you like more, that is the one that you want now to manifest out of the sankhara that is going on in the actual sankhara that's happening ahead of you. So you have a projection that is an expectation, but this sankhara that's happening outside, now they don't tally. So therefore, what happens? Now you, now you begin to suffer. Now there's conflict. So what if they ate when you want them to eat? Is that a moment to celebrate? What do you think? But then they're doing what you want them to do. Isn't that a moment to celebrate? Isn't it? No, because that celebration is very short-lived. Because even still, once again you're setting an expectation. And now all you're saying is, my expectation is being fulfilled, so therefore I'm happy. Um, it brings me joy. Really what's going on is you're still vexing inside, and you're suffering, but that vexation is being relieved because the sankhara that is going on out there is tallying with the expectation that you have inside. You're still doing sabba sankhara. Sabba sankhara samatha. Once you've done that, there aren't moments where, you're, where you feel pleasure and there aren't moments where you feel vexation. Both of these have no, have no space. Those of these have no, have no room once, you, once you've done the sabba sankhara samatha. So, you need to try and come to this contemplation in that moment. See, this is Viraga Sanya. You need to come to this contemplation. As, you know, you've got to try and do this in the moment. It's one thing to be there and then come and, you know, maybe go to the Valley Malu and contemplate on it later. You can do that, yes, but what's really good is if you can bring yourself to that contemplation then, on the fly, as it's going on. Because otherwise you're always going to have to, you know, plaster wounds. That's it. You'll be hurt, you'll have the scars, you'll have the bruises, and then you'll have to go to the Valley Malua and then get the dressings for your, for your wounds. But if you can do it then and there, that is quite something. It's difficult, agreed, but that is why you've got to practice it. Because after all, you know, <laughs> say in the moment of death, you know, just the, the final few chittas, right? Someone, again, your child comes, he doesn't want to have his, <laughs> have his greens. Right? Now, where are you going to go have the time to go to the Valley Malu? Where are you going to go have time to go and, you know, meet your meditation master? or your meditation class which is on Sunday afternoon, where are you going to have the time to go and do that? Because you're going to die today. 
right? These are the last few moments and your child's not having his greens, you get angry. Now, where's the time to go and fix that? There's no time to fix. So therefore, Nibbana has to be Nibbana now, not Nibbana tomorrow, not Nibbana this evening. Nibbana is Nibbana now. I'm not for one moment suggesting that this is easy to do. But I'm not even for one moment suggesting that this is difficult to do. It's neither. Walking, tell me, is it easy to do or difficult to do? Walking? Easy to do or difficult to do? Easy? Is it easy to do, walking? Easy? Ask a two-year-old. Is it difficult to do then? Is it? No, you're all walking just fine. Look at you, you don't need any help, you don't need any support. So is it easy to do or difficult to do? It's neither. It's easy when you do it. It's difficult when you don't do it. That's it. So nothing in this world is easy or difficult. It just depends on whether you're doing it or not. When you do it, it becomes easier. When you don't do it, it becomes difficult. That's it. So Sabha Sankara Samatha, is it easy to do or difficult to do? Etang santang, etang panita. It is magnificent. It is beautiful. Yadidan sabba sankara samatha. The settling of all formations, self based formations. Is it easy to do or difficult to do? Why don't you do it then? Because it's difficult to do, right? So therefore, because it's difficult to do, you just, let, you just let those moments pass, one after the other, after the other, after the other. You just keep on, you just keep letting it pass. And then you tell yourselves, one day when I'm able to do this, I will do this. Everyone who's guilty of this, blink your eyes. You wait until it's easy to do. You don't do it till then. But as you keep on waiting to do it, it never gets easy. But you're always hopeful one day it'll be easy to do. And then that day never comes. So you wonder, how am I ever going to do this? Things will only get easier the more you do it. So remember, always the first time is the toughest. The first time is the hardest. The first sum is the hardest. The second sum is not as hard. Even whether it's multiplication or division or addition or subtraction, the first sum is always the hardest. After you've done it once, now you approach the second one with knowledge and experience from having done the first one. But if you manage to do it, how is it etang santang, etang panitang, if you manage to do it? Etang suantang. That's what happens. 
If you manage to do that, then your sense of self ceases. Your sense of self ceases at that point. Sense of self is nothing more than suffering. That's it. It's just dukkha. Because really, you know, this is the this is the realization we need to come to. Although we feel like we are sukha, in fact we are not. We are actually dukkha. What do I mean by we? I don't mean we. I don't mean you and I. I mean this sense of separation that you experience. You know, you're just a chitta. This chitta experiences a sense of separation. When this chitta begins to experience a sense of separation, it needs to give it a name. Right? Whenever you identify something, you, you want to try and give it a name, don't you? Remember, as growing up as a kid, right, you saw things around you when you were very young. You didn't know what to call them, so you came up with your own names. Do you remember? If you don't remember, you remember having children, and they come up with their own names. Right? So, like the milk bottle was called Bubu, and then like the dolls were called the Gugu. Remember? And then you had to retrain them. You know, we all had names for little things. Remember, your children, if you had children, you know what you used to call them. They used to have these names that they used to come up with to refer to things. So even as children, you need names to, to refer to things because you want to separate them. And so you can identify them, them as, as different things. Like, you, sometimes, you know, you, you say it very fondly. Sometimes you might say, ah, my, my kid, you know, you know what he calls my mother? <laughs> you might have said. She calls her uh, booba. You, whatever, you know, young children, they have these really weird, funny names, right? To us, it's weird. To us, it's funny, but it's not funny to them. You don't see them laughing when they say that, do you? It's not funny to them. It's just something that they've, that they've adopted, so, because they haven't yet been fed information about what we conventionally call these things. So, but even young children, they need names to refer to things so that they can separate them. So when two children start to play, right, they will refer to those things by the names that they, are, they have given them. And then the two children will sometimes have different names for them. But then eventually you'll see that they'll both start calling them the same thing. Because children learn very fast. But then as we educate ourselves, as we grow up, we all start calling the same things the same things. Because conventionally we need that. So the mind is constantly looking to identify these things separately. And the first separation it experiences, it gives itself a name. So what is that first thing it experiences as a separation? That is this self. That is the self. That's why you call it I, if English is the language you, you speak. If you spoke any other language, you would give it an, a name that is set aside in that language for that, that, that feeling of separation. That is all it is. So when you say I, don't think that you're actually talking about yourself. It's, you're not, it's not you you're talking about. You're, you're referring to separation. You're referring to the most basic form of separation. You know, even that is a karmastan. If you can contemplate on that. 
when you see the word, when you say the word I, okay, just think about right now, when you say the word I, or think the word I, you might feel that you're referring to yourself. It feels very natural to refer to yourself because that is what we've learned. You know, that's the word that we've been using most of the time, right? Right from when we were very young, we've not used a word more than that, I. I is the most commonly used word. We've all known it, we've all grown up with it, and it is our most favorite word because it gives us a, a, a feeling of identity. What I encourage you to do is when you say the word I, when you think the word I, it's a word, isn't it? Although it's just a single letter, it's a word, right? one lettered word. When you think the word I, see if you can try and switch your thinking. Now this is a practical activity. It requires you to change your thinking. Okay? It requires you to change your thinking. When you say the word I, instead of thinking that you're referring to yourself, do try and think that you're actually referring to separation. See if you can do that. Do it now. I'll give you a minute. Just think of the word I, and instead of thinking that it, you're actually talking about yourself, you know, this I who has a name, who has, you know, who, who has a, a job, who has a, who has a girlfriend, who has a house, who has, a, who has this, who has that, who has a favorite color, who has a favorite food. Uh, instead of thinking all that, See if you can actually identify separation, because that is what you're really referring to as I. That's a meditation. See, that in itself is enough for meditation, I. Again, you're doing Sabha Sankara Samatha. If all you're reflecting on is I. 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 How's it going? I, I. I. Then you have we. Hmm. What is we again? Separation. You, separation. These are, these are simply names, conventional names, labels really. They're just, just labels, like we have a label. This is called a, a magnetic eraser. That's a label. Let's put on here. It's a label on this object. Separation is also an object to the mind. Yeah, the, because it's only if the mind can only give things a name if it can identify it as, a, identify it as an object. That is what the mind does. These are called aramana. Yeah, so the mind can take objects. The mind takes rupa objects, so sight objects, sound objects, smell objects, taste objects, and touch objects, and it takes dhamma objects. This eye is also an object. Now this separation is also an object. You can consider it a dhamma object. Because it's neither sight, sound, smell, taste or touch. But it's a perception. 
Yeah? So once the mind perceives self, a sense of self, that in itself becomes an object to the mind. Because it experiences that now. So once it perceives that, now it needs to give it a name. It needs to give it a label. And so when it has to give it a label, it has to find a word that exists and everyone can agree with. Because otherwise, how can I... Just imagine if we had no label, no identification for the separation that we had right now. You know, can you imagine a world like that, where we all experience an identity, but we had no name to refer to that? Do you think it would be livable, a world like that? You, you don't have words like you, I, we, so no pronouns. <laughs> Can you imagine a word like that? No pronouns. Because what is I and you and we and he, she, it after all? They're all separations. These are separated bundles of Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana. So who is he? Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. And who is she? Say. Who are you? Who am I? And who are they? Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. But where there is no Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana involved, we say, what is it? What is it? No Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana involved. Just Rupa. But then again, it is separate rupa. This is the feeling that we can't get out of our systems because sabba sankara has not become samatha. Constantly sabba sankara, sabba sankara, sabba sankara. Meaning sankara is constantly inclined towards jati. That is what happens. Rupa and rupataya sankatang abhisankaranti. Abhisankara. That's what happens. Whenever there's a rupa, instead of just identifying, identifying it as a rupa, instead of simply identifying rupa as rupa, as form, the mind makes an effort to separate that rupa and give it a different identity, a separate identity. And in, in an effort to separate that identity, because Rupa does not, Rupa is not inherently capable of doing that. It, it does not play ball. Because, you know, Rupa does not have that feature. It does not have the feature of becoming an identity. You know, it's like, you, you can't bend this without breaking it, can you? So if you try to bend this, say, imagine this was like, made of some, made of uh, titanium. Now this, perhaps if I bend it hard enough, it would break, it would snap. But if it, if it was made of a really strong metal, I wouldn't be able to do that. So it is not susceptible to, to breakage, certainly not with the force that I can apply on this. In the same manner, the, the chitta is not, or the, the rupa does not play ball, it's not compatible with what the chitta is trying to do with it. It's not compatible. 
The chitta wants to do things to this that this is not made to do. By this I mean rupa. See, this is rupa as well. This rupa is simply an aggregation. There are forces acting on each of the rupa elements. So there's patavyapotejo vayu here. There are forces acting on it. There's energy that's keeping this rupa together. But after all, this is just pure energy held together in this instant, in this instant, not for three years, in this instant. Now it might say on this, this will, this will, this will last for two years. We have a two-year warranty. Perhaps it will say, right, until this, those two years will lapse, this will not disintegrate. Let's just say, imagine, okay, for two years they will, they will, they will guarantee that this pen will remain in, in tip-top condition. But actually what's going on is in every instance, the energy that is acting on these elements are keeping this, these, these atoms or these molecules, these pataviya, potejo, vayo, together. In fact, this is just pure energy held together. It is constantly held together. That is why I, I, I suggested the other day, we must always speak in the present continuous. You can't talk about done things. They are constantly being done, being doing not being doing, they're constantly being done, I suppose. This is, this is constantly penning. This is not a made pen. This is penning all the time. I don't know whether that may, <laughs> makes sense to you. This is constantly forming. This is not a formed pen. It didn't come out of the factory like this. Out of the factory came a pen that was in that moment a pen. In the next moment it was again that. In the next moment again and again and again and again. In each moment there are forces that keep, there are, there's an energy that keeps this pen intact. That's all this is. So it's not right for us to think then that this is a, a done pen. This is done, this is fixed, this is complete. Nothing is complete like that. That is the nature of anicca. And once you begin to understand this, this nature, you realize that there is no, no, no such thing that you can actually consider to be atta. Atta is a separate entity. In some ways, actually, anicca explains why something is anatta. If you can think of it in those terms. Anicca explains why things are anatta. So, it is because there are causes that are constantly kept together. This is a manifestation. So there are causes that are constantly kept together. That is anicca. Therefore, this is not a fixed object. Therefore, this is not an object that can be independent from its causes. Therefore, this is not an entity. Therefore, this is a manifestation. Anatta. So now you see the connection between anicca and anatta. So what is dukkha? Sukha is where you, you, you have this perception that it is in fact a fixed entity. 
right? So when when sukha is the view that you have, because this is a mitcha ditti, right? sukha is a mitcha ditti, as you know, dukkha is the samaditti. So when you have sukha, which is a mitcha ditti. the perception that you have in your mind is that there are fixed objects in this world. Dukkha teaches you, or Dukkha teaches you, that they are not really fixed, but there's a process that runs in the mind that gives you the impression it's fixed. That is what Dukkha is. Sounds like Greek, doesn't it? I'll try, I'll explain it again. So you understand Anicca now, I think. Yeah? Causes coming together, manifesting, held together, energy, right? All that, I think makes sense. Anatta is that, therefore, you cannot consider them to be entities. Right? So if you take, what is Atta? It's an entity. Atta is an entity. Entity-based thinking is Atta. So Anatta is there are no entities, all there are are manifestations. Okay? So why why Dukkha as well? Why can't why didn't the Buddha just talk about Anicca and Anatta? Why did he speak of Dukkha? See, really think about this. The Buddha is a doctor. In fact, he didn't just come into this world to teach us about the material things and how the world is formed and how all things are anicca and how all things are anatta. He's actually come into this world to teach us what's wrong with us. He talks about the nature of the world and then he tells us, although that is the nature of the world, you have a wrong perception. Because, you know, if he doesn't speak about that, how do we know where to fix? Let me try and give you an analogy. Okay. Right. Say, the world is full of color. As you can see, the world is full of color. But we are wearing a colored glasses, uh, whatever. Say we're wearing green, green colored glasses. Now we see everything is green. Okay? So the Buddha comes into the world and he preaches the Dhamma. He says, white light goes through refraction. And when white light goes through refraction, Sorry, forget the refraction part. When, when white light falls on these objects, there are pigments in all the objects that are, that are around us. Right? And these materials, they have the ability to absorb energy. And then once energy has been absor- absorbed, some of that energy is reflected. Okay? So some of that energy is reflected. That is anicca. I'll, I'll say that again. So, the world is full of color. Okay? But we've got green colored glasses on. 
So now all of us, we see the world as world in what color? We see it green, monochrome. We only see green. <clears throat> the Buddha comes into this world and he says, white light, light from the sun, it falls on these objects and these material objects, they have the ability to absorb energy and reflect energy. So when it reflects energy, it only reflects the portion that it has not ab absorbed. Okay? So now he's explained how energy works. He's, he's, he's simply explained the workings of nature. And then he'll say, therefore, the world is full of color. It's not green. The world is full of color. It's not monochromatic. The world is full of color. There are a lot of colors in this world. So his explanation that light falling on these objects and absorbing some of that and reflecting some of this, re reflecting the rest, that is the analogy to anicca. Therefore, it's not green. It's of various colors. That is anatta. But now still a problem remains. Why do I still see the world as green then? Then he says, Dukkha, because you've got your glasses on. Take off your glasses. And now you realize what I have said is true. So if he doesn't speak of Dukkha, if he doesn't tell us that it's because you've got your glasses on, how do we know what to do about it? We will just have to take what he says at face value. So he says, the reason you see the world as you see the world as green is because you have your glasses on. So dukkha is a creation of the mind. And when the mind creates dukkha, now you don't see how the world could be anicca. You don't see how the world could be anatta. Because dukkha is going on in here. And the beauty of it is, dukkha itself only happens because anicca and anatta are true. Right? If it weren't for anicca and anatta, then dukkha wouldn't happen either, because dukkha itself is not an entity, it's also a manifestation. Dukkha itself is not a fixed object, it also is manifested because of causes. So, so. In the Girimananda Sutta, there's this thing called the Anicca Sanya and Anatta Sanya. I don't know whether you wondered why there is no Dukkha Sanya. There isn't. There isn't a Dukkha Sanya. Anicca Sanya and Anatta Sanya, the Buddha speaks of, as I said, here's how it works. Anicca and Anatta are the nature of this world. So then again you have to question why does he speak of Dukkha? Yes, it is a reminder. Because if, if not for that reminder, then we wouldn't know as sentient beings what to do. Yes, but you know, see the Buddha can come and speak of anicca and anatta. But if he doesn't speak about dukkha, you know, we'd be none the wiser. We can only begin to see, begin to see the world as the Buddha laid it down for us after we have begun to understand that this is dukkha. 
That is why in the first discourse that he gives, he, spoke, he speaks of the Four Noble Truths. In the Four Noble Truths, he's talking about Dukkha. Dukkha Satya, Dukkha Samudha Satya, Dukkha Nirodha Satya, Dukkha Nirodha Gamini Patipada Marga Satya. Right? Once you've fulfilled these four, now how do you begin to see the world? Anicca and Anatta. See, once you're an Arahant, where's Dukkha? There's no Dukkha. But is the world no longer Anicca? So to an, to an Arahant, does Anicca Sanya not work anymore? Of course it does. Anicca Sanya is still Anicca Sanya. What about Anatta Sanya? It's still there. But an Arahant cannot contemplate on Dukkha Sanya. Because they don't have a Dukkha Sanya. In fact, there is no such thing called a Dukkha Sanya. Dukkha is the disease. Dukkha is the problem. It's not a Sanya. Dukkha is the problem. That is why the Buddha proposes the, the, the solution to that problem. Dukkha is caused by suffering. Cease, uh, sorry, Dukkha is caused by attachment. Cease attachment and you will have, have ceased Dukkha. And then here's the path, the noble eightfold path. So even once you have eradicated suffering or dukkha once and for all, anicca sanya and anatta sanya are still valid. So yes, it is a reminder. It is a reminder that here is, the, here is what the problem is. So when we contemplate on 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 you know everyday situations, worldly situations, whatever you're in wherever you find yourselves, you can pick it up in one of these three areas. You can pick it up as anicca, you can pick it up from anatta, you can pick it up from dukkha. It's fine, wherever you pick it up. Because although dukkha is the problem that you have here, once you start contemplating on anicca, dukkha will be addressed. Because dukkha is a creation of the mind when it does not accept anicca. If you start contemplating on anatta, that's also fine. Because dukkha is a creation of the mind when it does not accept anatta. You can also start picking up on, on dukkha, dukkha itself. Once you start realizing that this is dukkha and it is caused by suffering, I keep saying suffering, it's caused by attachment and then the cessation of att attachment would cease dukkha and then you that becomes your right view and then you're going to write thoughts and so on and continue the noble eightfold path then again once the mind becomes freed from the from from dukkha you will begin to see the world as anicca and anatta so that's why the buddha says himself you know it matters not where you start start with any one of them the other two will become clear to you Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta, this is the essence of the Buddhist teaching. If you can make sense of how these three elements are the, you know, this is the holy grail of, of Buddhist teaching. If you can make sense of this, ladies and gentlemen, then no matter where you are, you can apply this. You can contemplate on this. So I said there were two perspectives you could take when you are contemplating on, on that problem where your child is not having, your, having their greens, right? So one was, as I said, 
there was only Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana out there. Rupa can only do what Rupa, Rupa does. You can't expect the Rupa to have greens. You can't expect the Rupa to have its meals. That is just Rupa. Rupa is Rupa. And Vedana is Vedana, Sanya is Sanya, Sankara is Sankara, and Vinyana is Vinyana. So your setting expectations on something doesn't mean it's going to fulfill them. See, this is a pen and all you can do is write. There's no point in you expecting this to be able to fly. Because this is not meant to fly. So even if you threw it up in the air, it's going to go and drop. It's going to fall in a few yards. That's the best it can do. Because it's never going to fly, it's never going to take off. Because it's not designed for that, it's not meant to do that. It, it, it does not have that ability. Rupa does not have the ability of fulfilling your expectations. But because people don't recognize, people don't understand, what is, what, actually what don't people understand? <laughs> what they don't understand is this is Rupa they're dealing with. That is what they don't understand. See, when you look at your son, do you think you're looking at Rupa? Do you? Do you feel that way, honestly? No, because you take them as a package, don't you? You look at your child, you think you're looking at your child. You, don't, you can't think of your child as just a collection of Rupa, can you? You fail to do that. You fail to see your child as a collection of Rupa and Vedana and Sanya and Sankara and Vinyana. You actually feel that you're looking at your child. So then all the things that you can set as expectations on your child, like you know, doing well in their education, you know, keeping healthy, having good habits, and stop biting their fingernails, and making their bed, and doing their homework, and you know, washing, and cleaning, and all that. Right? All these expectations, being kind, and being generous, and being gentle, and being respectful, and being courteous, right? all these things, you start, you start chucking all these expectations on them. Well, you're bound to be disappointed. Because they're all just Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. It's just aggregates together. That's it. One configuration of it. That is because of Dukkha. You, you can't help it. Dukkha is going on inside here. Right? Every chitta is producing jati. Except for a chitta that might be contemplating on Sabha, Sankara, Samatha. All other chittas are, chittas are producing jati. Right? So in fact, if you were to contemplate on this in that situation, here's what would happen. Sorry. <clears throat> here's what you would see. Here again you see the child not having their greens. Child not having greens. Child not having greens. Child not having greens. This is what happens. In this instance, you contemplated on Sabha Sankara Samadha. So in this moment, you will have no suffering. But in every other moment, you have, my child is not having his pain, my child is not having his oh, wretched thing, I don't know why I bothered with you. And then here, oh, Rupedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana, of course. Can't set expectations on Rupedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. Because Rupatiti Kotasma Bikwe, Rupanti Uchati. This is just Rupa. Vedahitiko Bikwe Tasma Vedanati Uchati. This is just Vedana. 
So Vedana does what Vedana does. Sanya does what Sanya does. It recognizes. Sankara, Sankara and Vinyana, Vinyana. That is what it does. And these are all Vipaka. Right? So Vipaka does what Vipaka does. That is not to say that as a mother you will, start, you'll, you will then give up on trying to you know, get your child to start eating healthy. You're not going to give up that. You're, because you understand that it also has Vinyana. Right? So Vinyana, vinyana can, be, can be taught. You can give drushti to the child. But here's what you understand. That is all you can do. You can just give them drushti. Now there may be some among you, maybe some parents, who would like, wish for their children to come and maybe become, join one, join us, right? maybe become an anagarika or an anagarika. Right? If you see them as a child, you'll be disappointed. Because then you don't see that this is Rupa Edana Sanya Sankarunya. So you see, this is a child. And my child, I have expectations, fulfill them. But if you see them simply as Vinyana, that's not to say you will give up on that effort. But you understand that Vinyana is, is, is influenced by Drushti. Yeah? Because that Drushti can be a Dhamma Rupa, it can be a Sabda Rupa. It can be a uh, rupa rupa. So you try keep feeding into into the into the drushti pool various bits of information, right? And at some point, at some point, it's possible that that vinyana will accept or will be that I want to become an anagarika. So you understand the, 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 that this is a process. You understand that this is simply cause and effect driven. But if you fail to see that, now you see a child. Now you want your child, and you, you want your child to fulfill expectations. Because you have a whole, whole story, you build up a whole narrative for your child. These are not realistic, because that's not what there really is. It's just Rupa Vedana Sanya Sankara Vinyana. So in, the mo- in moments where you're contemplating on the, on the Dhamma, you actually see the world as it really is. So that's therefore an Arahant, the Buddha, they will always try to preach the Dhamma, teach the Dhamma, and help people like you and I to fulfill our path and practice the, the Dhamma and attain our salvation. But because, just because we don't do it, it doesn't hurt them, doesn't bother them, doesn't annoy them, doesn't frustrate them, doesn't disappoint them. Because they understand that, say the Buddha keeps on telling us, you know, practice the Dhamma, you know, practice the Dhamma, practice the Dhamma. And he keeps on saying, but, you know, we are not heedful. You know, we're, not, we're not interested. We are just doing whatever we want to do. The Buddha doesn't get disappointed. Because what the Buddha understands is, the vinyana hasn't, just, hasn't, hasn't taken place yet. The vinyana has not as yet formed, which the, the vinyana that is required for one to feel that they have to practice, the dhamma hasn't formed yet. So therefore, 
the Sabha Sankara Samatha, right? Because of course in the Buddha, Sabha Sankara is completely Samatha, right? It's all settled. So they understand that there's just Sankara. They understand that there's just Sankara. And the Sankara we discussed earlier, we had the Chitta Sankara, the Kaya Sankara and the Vachi Sankara. Right? So when a Buddha preaches the Dhamma to us, and if we are not still uh, heedful of what he has to say, yeah, he'll, all he'll see is the Kaya Sankara, Vachi Sankara and Chitta Sankara, they have not aligned yet. And he'll, he'll keep on trying. So that is why, you know, as Buddhists, it is not right for us to say that, you know, I tried once, two times, three times, then I, you know, I'm, I'm not angry, but I gave up. No, that's, that's not what we should do. In fact, you know, only if you are the Buddha can you give up, because you can see whether this is actually going to be worthwhile or not. But you can see how much merits they have and whether they've got enough merit power to actually understand the Dhamma. But this side of that, we should constantly keep on trying. Right? Sometimes maybe with your parents, with your children, right? and with your students, right? we constantly keep on trying because what we need to understand is at some point, we just we remain hopeful that at some point the Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana will line up. The right Vijnana will take place. The Chitta Sankara, the right kind of Chitta Sankara will take place at some point. It's not up to us to set expectations on that. But when we understand that these are all cause and effect driven, we, we constantly, we, we try to keep on tuning the causes. And at some point, you know, the effect will take place. But we don't have an expectation on that. Trying to do what is good and setting expectations are two very different things. Trying to do what is good, we must always try to do that. But not because it is good for us. It is good. That's it. So, as I said earlier, there are two ways you can look at this problem. So your child's not having their greens. So one was looking at the child and contemplating on the fact that this is just the five aggregates and there's no child there. A second approach you can take is you can bring it on yourself. Right? You can start here and then go back to the child. Or you can start at the child and you can bring it back here. So how do you look at yourself? Now you start to think, right, I'm getting annoyed. Yeah? So I'm getting annoyed because my child's not doing what I want them to do. Ask yourself, who's getting annoyed? Ask yourself that question. Who is it that's getting annoyed? When you ask this question, you realize, yeah, exactly, there's not a me that's getting annoyed, this is an annoyed chitta. Sado sangva chitta. Sado sanchittanti pajanati. This is a chitta that is of aversion. This chitta is angry. This is not I who's angry, this is an angry chitta. And when you, when you contemplate on that, once again, you're back on Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. Because then you realize that this is just a chitta, right? And that chitta is not, is not wholesome, it's an unwholesome chitta. But you have brought your attention on the chitta itself. And now, when you are, when you are aware of that chitta, 
and therefore you are now aware that this is an unwholesome chitta, you are back in control. You, you lose your temper when you don't know you're angry, actually. Like, you know, when you're, when you're really angry, you're, you completely lose your bearings. You don't know that you're angry even. That's why sometimes, you know, when after, after you're angry and you've, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's settled down after a while, you wonder, how did I get so angry? I didn't even know I was, I didn't even realize I was so angry. Did I, did I say that? Did I do that? Did I say all those things? Sometimes, you know, it happens. But when you can bring your mind back to, just, just to, you know, be mindful about the fact that this is just a chitta that's going on, then you realize that if this is, a, this is an unwholesome chitta, then you can do something about that. Coming to awareness that this is an unwholesome chitta itself is enough to, to break that slippery slope and to come out of that. But if you cannot come to that awareness that this is an unwholesome chitta, then you feel that you are angry, and then when you are angry, there's a you that you sense is angry, then immediately you sense that there's a child out there. Right? So you are, you, the moment you sense this separation within yourself, you sense the separation out there as well, and then of course then this feeds that, and that feeds this, and then this tennis goes on. So you can either start by contemplating on whether there's an actual child out there or whether that's simply the five aggregates, or you can contemplate on what's here, whether there's an actual me here, whether, whether there's an actual I here. That's why I said as much as you possibly can, you know, use, do this karmastan. Use this karmastan. This is a very powerful karmastan, I. Let this word ring in your head. As it rings in your head, ask yourself, what is it that I refer to as I? You've never questioned this before, because it was so obvious. But it should be obvious now as well, but a different one. I is a different object. It, it, it was, it used to be that by I, you meant you. But what I want you to do now is, by I, I want you to refer to what? To separation. To separation. I want you to refer to separation. If you can begin to do that, then you'll begin to recognize that this separation of course, you, are, you will begin, you know, the moment you begin to realize that this is separation, your knowledge of anicca and your knowledge of anatta will both, will both come, come to the surface. It will both surface. Because the moment you, you come to awareness that this is dukkha, anicca and anatta will, will, you know, will, will show up immediately. You can't, you can't recognize dukkha as dukkha without recognizing anicca. It's impossible. And say that again, you can't identify dukkha as dukkha without sparing a moment to contemplate on anicca and anatta. Either of these two things, or, at, or both of these truths about the world, anicca and anatta, 
they will surface the moment you come to awareness that this is Dukkha. Because it cannot be Dukkha for you if it's not Anicca and Anatta. Because what is Anicca after all? That it's a manifestation brought about by causes. If you, whenever you see that this is Dukkha, you know that this is not self. You know that this is a, a formation of the mind. You know that this is a construction of the mind. You know that this is a fabrication of the mind. So if it's a fabrication, then it has to be causes that are fabricating it, right? So therefore it has to be anicca-based. Whatever this is, has to be based in anicca. Therefore whatever this is cannot be an entity, it has to be a manifestation. So every time you reflect on this, redefine this. For now your definition of I has been myself. So next time I see someone asks you to give a myself speech, really what you should do is give a separation speech. That would be more appropriate. I'm here to talk about separation. <laughs> because that is what it is. Come to that awareness and have that awareness be mindful about that. As you're walking, as you're talking, as you're doing things, you know, your household chores, whatever you're doing, try your best to try and, and keep yourself on this, on this object. So this is I redefined. Is this making sense to you? Yeah, what I'm saying is, you have always referred to yourself as I. Keep on using the word I, it's fine. Because you can't drop this word out of your vocabulary, can you? How could you survive? You'd have to use it to, to have a conversation with anyone. So keep on using this word I, but whenever you say the word I, reflect on separation. When someone says, how are you doing? You say, I'm good. So the word will come to your mind, I'm good. Now think about it. What do you mean by I? What do you mean by I? Separation. The separation that makes you feel that you are a unique identity and separate from everybody else. Now why is that a problem? Because the moment that happens, you have jati, and with jati comes eleven great fires. How do, how do the eleven great fires come as a result of jati? Because this is separation. <clears throat> So when you separate, now things will happen to separated things. So like death. Death is something that happens to a separate entity. Death doesn't happen to manifestations. Do you recall, we had the, uh, I showed you the other day, some time ago now, birds flying, the murmuration, yeah? And we had, you called out various names of the, of the things you saw on screen. Yeah, those were just birds, they were just flying randomly, weren't they? But do you remember, when you spotted them taking various shapes, you say, say you thought you saw them taking the shape of a, a flower, for example. Now, when you see them taking the shape of a flower, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince you how jati leads to the eleven great fires, okay? So say there, you've seen these birds. Um, 
Okay, so these are how the birds were flying. In that, in that moment. Now, this is only a snapshot in time. The next moment, what the birds are going to do, we don't know where the logic comes from, but these birds, they're going to start flying in another direction. So they're going to change their direction, and now this is what's going to happen. Now what's happened to the flower? Yeah. The flower has been distorted. And now the, the, the other birds are also going to follow suit. See, now this flower that was once a fully formed, blossomed flower, it's going to distort and it's, it's going to fade, it's going to destroy, it's going to die. But these birds had no intention of doing so. No one had any intention of doing so because they were not forming a flower at all, but a flower manifested here, that was it. There wasn't a fixed flower here, but as you projected a flower and you expected it to be a flower, when this happens, now you're talking about things that are happening to the flower. You're the only one who's talking about things that are happening to a flower. These birds don't know the first thing about it. <laughs> it's a bit like another example would be, I think I talked about this uh, yeah, another day. People, we blindfold people and get them to stand in a circle. Did we talk about this? We blindfold people and get them to stand in a circle. Do they know they're standing in a circle? They're blindfolded. Before they were brought here. They were blindfolded and they were brought in. Now they're stood in a circle. They don't know that they're standing in a circle. Okay? So we leave them there, standing there for a few minutes, and then one guy gets bored. But the only rule is you can't take off your blindfold. So what does this guy do? He walks away. Ah, can't be bossed. He starts walking away. Now what's happening in the circle? The circle is, is, is it's deformed now, isn't it? It's no longer a circle. The circle is now broken. Do any of these people know that they were form, forming a circle? No. Yes, there was a circle that was manifesting. And that manifestation is not necessarily, not just a manifestation in the mind. This is a manifestation. When there is a mind, it can perceive that manifestation. Okay? So the manifestations are always there. This is a manifestation whether there is a mind or not. Even if all the minds in this room were switched off, this would still be a manifested pen, a manifesting pen rather, rather than a manifested pen, a manifesting pen, because it's penning. Yeah? So this is a manifesting pen. Now, what a chitta does is, a chitta is also a manifestation, and that manifestation is able to perceive manifestations. That's what chittas do. Arahat chittas perceive manifestations. That Those perceptions are also manifestations. Non-arahat chittas, also, they also perceive. Those perceptions are also manifestations. But what they perceive are 
because of ignorance, they think those perceptions are actually the objects that are out here. That is because of ignorance. So when this happens, and then another guy falls out, and another guy falls out, and now people start saying, see, there was a nice little circle there, and now the circle's gone. It's broken. They've broken the circle of trust. <laughs> this circle was just a manifestation. It was not a fixed circle. But if you thought of it as a fixed circle, now that circle is broken. Because when you say that this is a broken circle, are you not still referring to a, a complete circle in your mind? You're, you're comparing this to a complete circle, aren't you? The, otherwise, how can you say that this is broken? How do you know a chair is broken? How do you know a table is broken? How do you know anything is broken? Because you have an image of what the complete thing looks like, or, or smells like, or tastes like, whatever. And now you have two things to compare. It is when you compare two things, you can say one is broken. So even here, you are now comparing the current state to what was before. In your mind, this was a, a complete circle, a fixed circle. So therefore you are talking about a circle that broke, but there was no circle here that was fixed. It was simply a manifestation. A manifested circle was there, yes, so you can't say there was no circle. There was a manifested circle. In fact, a manifesting circle, because it was constantly here for as long, only for as long as the causes were there, right? For as long as the causes are prevalent, then the, or prevail, the, 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 the effect will manifest. As soon as any one of the causes changes, now you can no longer manifest that, that effect. See, this is, now it's easy to understand this when we talk about something like this. What's, what, what's important is you apply this to everyday life. Otherwise, this becomes very theoretical. Practical application of this knowledge is what's going to help you to free yourself from, from suffering. Let's take an, another example. Say something precious to you. Okay, maybe say you have a, um, a family heirloom. Okay, maybe you have... Um, your grandmother's plate. Sorry, okay, sorry. <laughs> Say your grandmother's sari, very precious to you. Hmm? Cotton sari. Thank you, madam. So your grandmother's cotton sari, right? And she wore it. Uh, She's, she's worn it many times, and, uh, and it's very precious to you. So she handed, over to, she handed it over to her daughter, and she did it to you. And now this has become part of the family heirloom, right? So now it's in the cupboard. Uh, your six-year-old, uh, they wanted something to play with, right? So you weren't at home. They wanted something to, you know, maybe have to um, use it for play, uh, to try, tie around their playhouse. So, when you get home one day, you realize that they've taken, it, taken this sari from your, from your cupboard, and that is what they've been using to play around, and then they've got, it, they've got, it, got dirt on it, they've got footsteps all over it, the dog has also is, it has, has played on it, right? And it's now in tatters, okay? 
So when you see that, when you when you set your eyes on that, these are perfect moments to catch your internal reaction to life. These are the moments that will really, these are the acid tests that will tell you where you are on your practice. I mean, it's fine to come here and, and be all holy, but at home when these things don't go to plan and things completely go haywire, you know, that is the moment to actually catch you in your natural habitat, see what you're really like. So in that moment, how do you respond? Where is Sabba Sankara Samatade? Sabbupadi Bati Nisagga. Hmm? <laughs> Where is the etan santang etan panita? You don't feel santa and panita at that time, do you? No, that's because you haven't done the sabbupadi bati nisagga. That's because you haven't done the sab, uh, sabba sankara samatha. That's because you haven't done viraga. That's because you haven't done nirodha. That's because you haven't done tanhakke. That's why. If you've done those things, then you should feel Santa and Panita. You don't. So, in that moment, try to, try to do that. In your, your natural reaction would be to start you know, getting really agitated inside, and then, you know, you, if you, especially if you had a bad day at work as well, to top all that, you know, you really have a go at them and shout at them and scream at them and look at what you've done and how can you do something like this? Why can't you wait until Ami comes home? You could, should have asked me before you took, some, took, took that out of the cupboard. Haven't I told you a million times not to open that cupboard? Right? And you start going at, having a go at them. And then the children are like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> you know, you're only making matters worse because now you know, not only has the child like, you know, done something like they've ruined something that is precious to you but you're also, you know, they've only ruined the, the, the sari, you're ruining the child <laughs> aren't you? you're ruining the child because now you're teaching the child that when things don't work out to plan you should just go into a rage you know, a fit of rage and then just completely, you know, tear people a new page and completely, you know, go go mad. This is this is the this is the example that you are setting on your children. It's terrible. They've only ruined a sari. You are ruining a child. And usually, those impressions that you leave on them, you know, they can leave an imprint on them for for very long. Now, I've I've seen many times in my life, young children, where they get a lot of. Um, like uh, a lot of uh, uh, they have to face a lot of aggression at home from their parents particularly when they grow up they, they, they develop a sense of uh, inferiority they, they develop a deep sense of inferiority because they, they're always very scared very uh, they, they, they have a very low esteem about themselves. They have very low self-esteem. If, particularly where they've grown up in, in a home where there's been a lot of shouting and screaming and, and, and either the mother or the father, where there's been a lot of aggression at home, that happens a lot. 
And a lot of times when young people come to us, and or even actually not just young people, sometimes they're as old as 30, 40, and they tell us, you know, I have this deep sense of inferiority. And you, you, you keep asking them what happened, you go back to their past, and chances are either their, father, their fathers, you know, they used to drink a lot. And they used to come home and they attacked the mother, right? And, and then the children were there to witness this. And constant fights between mother and father. Right? These are terrible situations, scenarios for environments for children to grow up in. But that's besides the point. I was trying to say, so in such a situation, how do you do sabha sankara samatha? See, so take, take an example like that. When you're there in that situation, the reason that you're getting angry is because you're not able to see this as a vipaka. You, you are seeing a fixed sari. You're seeing a fixed sari. What you're not seeing is a manifestation. This is just rupa that is manifesting as a sari in this moment. But you're seeing a fixed sari. And in th this fixed sari is now torn. This fixed sari has now been shredded. Right? How can something be shredded if it's not a fixed object? How can something be torn if it's not a fixed object? See, when I take this beetle leaf and I tear it in half like this, you're, you can only, you know, now you see these two as halves of one. So that's why you say this is one half and this is the other half. You can't help but think that these two belong to each other, can you? You, you, you feel that, it's very natural to feel that. You feel that these two belong to each other and this is one half of this and this is one half of this. But none of the cells that constitute this leaf actually know that they are part of a leaf. There is, this is just a manifestation and this is also just a manifestation. All manifestations are manifestations. And to nature it's perfectly fine what it manifests. Nature doesn't have a specific agenda. It's fine, whatever manifestation is fine for nature. But then, if this was the sari, and now this is what you see, it hurts you because you want it to be this way. See, this separation is what you want. You're not happy with this. Because this is one and this is another. Do you see the separation? I don't mean this separation. I don't, I don't mean like I've separated the two. That's not what I mean here. I mean there are two states here. This is one state and this is another state. You have separated those two as two different states. They are merely configurations. The configurations are different, yes. But when you see them as separate entities, now there are entities that you like and there are entities that you dislike. Now you have split the world up into things that are pleasant to you and things that are unpleasant to you. So how do you do sabbupati pati nissaggu? See, upati, upati is rupa vedana sanya sankara vinyana. These are the creations of, of karma, the vipaka. Pati sansagga is where you have bonds towards the rupa vedana sanya sankara and vinyana. 
and then you once you've done that rupa vedana sanya sankara vinyana and the bonds that you form towards it the upadana you form towards it and that's what they call the pati or the bonds that you form towards it that takes away your state of peace it takes away your state of bliss but if you are able to see this merely as rupa vedana sanya sankara and vinyana it was like this rupa vedana sanya sankara and vinyana in this state also it was just rupa vedana sanya sankara vinyana no difference but hasn't something happened in the world has nothing happened in the world yes something has happened in the world but all that's happened in the world is a change of configuration that's it just a change of configuration nothing more than that so then this and this are only conventionally different but in absolute terms they're both the same to you sorry yes once you realize that there are no entities to grasp attachment has no place see to attach you need something to attach to yeah that's why when I, we talk about letting go i always tell there's nothing to let go you just need to realize that there is nothing to let go not to let go but to realize nothing to let go because once you realize that these two states are merely changes in configuration you don't need to let go of attachment because what is there to attach that is the realization you come to so once you recognize this attachment can no longer exist because attachment for attachment to exist there has to be priya madhura this this sense of pleasantness yeah for a sense of pleasantness there has to be a separate thing because there are there are separations that we find pleasant there are other separations that we find unpleasant but it's only when while there is separations sorry it's only for as long as there are separations we can can we can we find some to be pleasant and others to be unpleasant when there's black and white you will like one and you will dislike the other but if you don't see the world as black and white now which one do you like you can't answer that question right so so the remedy for 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 attachment is samaditi that's why in the noble eightfold path which is the which is the treatment to a mind that attaches samaditi is basically understanding anicca dukkha anatta in other words all th- all our manifestations and in manifestations if if manifestations are all there are there are no fixed entities out there however because of jati you perceive fixed entities and come to recognize that and once you have recognized that then you come to terms with the world as it really is which is the anicca and anatta see the moment you see this ladies and gentlemen now there is no longer any you know how can attachment be what what can what can you attach to if 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 there's nothing to hold on to how can you hold on to something 
It's like, you know, say, uh, say now this, this, this uh, board over here, right? If I ask you to grasp onto something on the, on the board, can you? You can't grasp onto anything because there's nothing to grasp onto. But for as long as you feel that there is something to grasp onto, you will, you will attempt to do so. The mind will try to grasp onto something that it feels is an, is an entity, is a separate thing. Remember, these are all chittas that are running through the, through the mind, right? And each of these is an object, either a sight object, a sound, smell, taste, or touch object. The mind, thinking that these are separate objects, now tries to attach to them. It thinks they are separate objects, and therefore it tries to attach to them. And in trying to attach to them, Although it tries to grasp them, there is nothing that is graspable because they're just manifestations. So this is why the mind goes into vexation, deep vexation. And here's where Abhisankara comes in. Remember, there is nothing separate about Rupa or Vedana or Sanya, Sankara or Vijnana. Therefore, the mind has to create a separation. And that is that separation that the mind creates. And then once it creates that separation, now it tries to hold on to it. So this is that separation that you sense. And then it grasps onto that separation, and then from there on, it expects things to happen to this thing that it believes is separate, like this circle here. See, there is no real circle. There's not a fixed circle here, is there? There's a manifestation of a circle. It's not a fixed circle. I'm not saying that there is no circle here. All I'm saying is there's a manifesting circle. No, it's no fixed circle. So if there's only a manifesting circle, now you know then that at any moment, this manifestation can change. Yeah? That is why at any moment, one of these guys can just, you know, start walking in random directions. But if you see this as a fixed circle, now you expect this to behave like a circle. You expect circle things from circles. You expect them to behave like circles. So once you start setting expectations that, are, that would be true for circles on this, then when it doesn't behave accordingly, now that brings disappointment. So you see, your attachment can only form when you see a fixed circle here. If you don't see a fixed circle here, you can't attach yourself to a circle. So take the sari again when you see that happening at home, right? if you see a fixed sari, if, if you see that your child was playing with, one, with, your fixed, with, with that sari, which is a family heirloom, you know, it's precious to you, your grandmother's given it to you, all these things, they come, start coming to you because you're talking about a sari. Ultimately, what there is is just rupa, isn't there? That's just rupa, that is part of it, that is tejo, that is apo, that is vayo. But that configuration of part of the apo, tejo, vayo, you perceive as a sari. Absolutely, that configuration is there. I'm not saying that there is no sari there. What I'm saying is there's no fixed sari there. It is by its very nature only held together by the forces that are acting on it. Right? So at any moment, at any instant, right, it, is, it is perfectly fine and perfectly acceptable. It should be to you. It should be perfectly acceptable and perfectly fine for you for it to disperse. 
and for those elements to go do whatever they, they have to do. But when you see a sari there, now you want it to remain like that. You want it to be like that. You want it to stay in that state like that for as long as you want it to be that way. Then, there, then of course, there's going to be all the suffering that comes along with that. So now it's going to, it's going to, when it's going to fray, when it's going to decay, when it's going to destroy. If you know, if if it's a, if, a, if it gets uh, burned by fire, right? If it gets washed and uh, if it gets soiled, if the if the you know the cat goes and does a dirty on that, you know, all that it it it, it starts to bother you, it starts to hurt you because you in your mind you have a fixed notion of a sari and that sari should be clean it should it should be it should be tidy it should it should smell nice right all these things you have is because you have a fixed notion of a sari there so sabba sankara samatu sabbubadi parinissak it's really important that in such instances you Use the weapons that you have learned through the Dhamma and use them to fight the battle against Mara. Because in those moments, Mara will otherwise come and get the better of you. Mara will wage war. He's always there to wage war. And by Mara, I don't mean Vasavati Mara. I mean the Mara that is inside of you. The Mara is the Jati. That Jati will take over, it will create suffering and then you know you get angry when you see that such things, don't you? So that is Mara. You know it disappoints you, you know you feel, you feel sad, you feel disappointed, sometimes you feel shocked, really annoyed and all sorts. When someone makes a promise and then they break a promise, how does that make you feel? Someone says, yes, I'll do this for you. Someone borrows money and doesn't lend it, return it to you. Someone borrows your car and then they bring it back and you see there's a dent in the bumper. Right? You only see it after they've gone. And they know they don't say a word about it. <laughs> they know it happened, but they keep they keep quiet about it. Now you see that and you you get really frustrated by that. Right? And then you see these people like, you know, good lesson to me for lending them these things. I shouldn't have I shouldn't be lending people like this my my possessions and so on. See now even the merit that you've earned by lending it to them, even that is gone. Because now you don't feel good about what you've done. Now you're cursing yourself for having lent the lent the car because they've returned it damaged. But because you, you don't see it as just Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana and just a different configuration of that. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn a lesson then. You should learn a lesson. So it's, it, you, know, you probably won't lend it to the same person again. Yeah? But, so you see, the, understanding the Dhamma does not mean that you, ha, you can completely forget how to survive in this world. Okay? There are conventions that we have to adhere to, and there are lessons we learn about the world, who to associate with, who not to associate with, right? who you can who you can lend some money to, who you cannot. Right? These are all lessons that we have to learn in life. It's not like you know you can just completely anicca dukkha and anatta and then after that you know anything goes. It's not like that. 
There are still the lessons that we learn in life that we have to live with. So when you cross the street, you can't just go on into Dukanata. You, you have to check your, you know, look, look at oncoming traffic and, you know, avoid that. So these are things that we live and we learn and these lessons we have to use in life. Anicca simply helps you understand that whatever you learn about life, you know, they are not fixed entities. They are simply manifestations driven by cause and effect. That is what Anicca helps you to learn. So anything and everything you've learned about life and living in this world, keep that. Don't, don't you know, completely forget and ignore all that and... This is not a, this is not a brainwashing. This is just an, uh, another perspective of looking at what you already know. So if you if you use a bread knife to to slice your bread, you, you know even after you've understood Anicca you'll still use a bread knife. Now you don't go using butter knife. You need to understand that. None of those things change, but what you understand is a knife is slicing this bread because it's not a fixed bread. There are, it's just a manifestation. So the fact that I can now slice this bread using this knife is evidence then, is it not, that this is just a manifestation. So where was the whole bread then? If there was a whole bread and I could slice it, where did that whole bread go? How come I can slice it now? Then was, was it sliced earlier and then they were all together before I sliced it? No. What there was was just matter held together by, the for, by forces and what I'm doing now is exerting force on this and by exerting force now this matter is reconfigured. That's it. And then once you eat it, it's again reconfigured. Give it a few days, it'll be part of you. So it'll be part of your, your body, your muscles, your bones, your skin. But that's what it is. So for that to be able to happen, this is all just configuration of the same stuff. Now once you realize this, then you realize that there, is, there are no fixed entities in this world. These are just manifestations. That is the understanding that we're trying to get to here. So I urge you to try and apply these principles in as many situations at home as you possibly can. And when you meet your teachers, you can bring them and discuss with them. And also you have the sessions after the sermons here. You can, you can discuss them in those situations. Get their help to help you analyze them and really make sense of them. And I can ask, you know, this is how I applied Swami Nansa, is that, is that correct? Should I be doing something else with it? Ultimately, the way you know whether it's working for you or not, is when if that situation was to have, were to happen again, you shouldn't be feeling so angry. You shouldn't be feeling so, so bothered, so annoyed. It works, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, it works. I wouldn't be, te- I wouldn't be preaching it to you if it didn't work. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. It honestly works. This is tried and tested. So it comes with a guarantee. Full money back guarantee.
If this doesn't work for you, we'll return your money. Hmm? Whatever you have paid for this sermon, we'll return it. Okay, let's conclude for today then. Let us take a moment then. To transfer the maze that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, inviting the Mahasangha to preach the Dhamma, listening to the Dhamma and making this opportunity available to those who have come from far and wide to listen to the Dhamma, practice it and fulfill the path to Nibbana. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the mates we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that amongst them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin come rain or shine. Let us also take a moment to transfer these mates to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the other monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer this maze and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. May by the power of these merits, they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcoming obstacles to their spiritual progress. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide for the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who continue to extend their well wishes and extend their know-how. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our friends and our acquaintances, our employers, our employees, our teachers, as well as those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcoming obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these means to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to fulfilling, fulfilling the Sambhuddhasasana. Let us take a moment to transfer these maids to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who have passed away in our name, our loved ones, and those who have predeceased us, our forefathers, our ancestors, reminding ourselves that it is in their blood sweat and tears, today we are able to enjoy the comforts that we do and practice the path 
in peace and comfort. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to those who make, those who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, as well as those who have lost their lives in natural disaster. As well as those who have lost their lives in the war, be their friend or foe. Let us transfer these merits to members of the armed forces, as well as the police force. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes and landslides and pandemics. Reminding ourselves that this infinitely long, in this infinitely long journey of samsara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, and brothers and sisters to us, and friends and acquaintances. May they all rejoice in these merits, and out of sheer compassion and loving kindness towards all of them, let us take a moment to transfer all the merits we have acquired to all of them, and may they all rejoice in these merits. And if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And may you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success become a Rahadan Nuhanse or an Arahateranin Nuhanse in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Sila Loka Sila Satyoma Nibbana Paramasakin Sukhita Taravetva.
साधो साधो साधो